Well, hello, Grace Church. It is so good to worship with each of you and to, uh, and to look into what the Bible has to say together. Uh, over the last few weeks, we've been exploring in this new series, What Now? Uh, we've been exploring what the Bible has to say about our faith when nothing is normal anymore. When all of the, the world around us just does not look the way that it used to. Uh, in a time of crisis, right? In a time of pain, uncertainty, isolation, helplessness. Times like right now, in the midst of coronavirus, how do we as Christ followers, how do we respond so over the last few weeks, that's what we've been looking at. In the first week of the series, I suggested that we shouldn't move too quickly past lament, uh, biblical lament, a brutal, brutally honest acknowledgement to God about our grief and our pain and our loss, mixed with, though, an unwavering trust that he will ultimately act. That's something that we don't want to move too quickly beyond. In the second week of the series, Amy helped us dig deeper into the dynamics of that trust, what that actually looks like in the midst of our uncertainty. Last week, Tim showed us the surprising truth that loving our neighbor was actually a path out of isolation. And today we're going to be talking about something that, that many of us may feel right now, a sense of helplessness, a sense that, that the world is beyond our control and we're just kind of being swept along. What do we do when we feel helpless? So to do that, I want us to look at a passage of scripture that's actually one of my favorites. I love this, this chapter uh, in the book of Isaiah. So I'd love it if you'd grab a Bible and open it up to the book of Isaiah chapter 58. And uh, we're going to look at this together. We're going to look at the whole chapter, in fact. Now, while you're turning there, let me give you just a little bit of context uh, about Isaiah and Isaiah 58. The whole book of Isaiah contains a whole bunch of prophecies uh, which speak to the people of Israel during some specific times in their history. And just as a reminder, I've spoken about this before, but biblical prophets, they don't tell the future, they tell the truth. Okay? Now, sometimes that truth may contain uh, glimpses of the future, but a prophet's job is not to tell the future. They're not fortune tellers. They are truth tellers. And that's what we see in this passage uh, as well. Now, in this particular passage, the prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people in the days after the Babylonian exile. Uh, the Babylonian exile, you know, when, when Israel had basically been uh, taken over by Babylon, the temple was destroyed. It was this awful time. Well, now they're back. They're back in Israel. They've rebuilt the temple and they're, they're trying to regain some of their former glory. It's in that context that this particular uh, prophecy is given. And what we're going to see is that in this prophecy, uh, the, the, the people are trying to get God to come through for them. They're asking God to act, to answer their prayers, uh, because they need God's intervention. And it makes sense, too, if you think about the bigger context. They need God to help them rebuild their country. And as far as they were concerned, they were doing all the right things for that to happen. And yet it wasn't. So let's, let's read what happens in, in uh, Isaiah 58, starting with the first verse, verse 1. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be, don't be timid. Tell my people Israel of their sins, yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of its God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending that they want to be near me. We've fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I'll tell you why, I respond. It's because you're fasting to please yourselves. 
Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and you cover your face with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? Okay, so wow, we are, we're coming in hot here at the beginning of Isaiah 58. What uh, exactly is going on here? Well, uh, you know, like I said, we, we know the broad strokes of what was happening at this time, but we really don't know the specifics of exactly what they were asking God to do. Uh, but we do know this. We do know that the things that they say they're doing, fasting, which is not eating food for a period of time, uh, fasting, wearing burlap, uh, bowing their heads, ashes, all that stuff, those were actions that were meant to show humility and, uh, and self-sacrifice. These were ways for the Israelites to say to God, look, I am, I'm lowering myself because I need you. Okay? These were actions of humility. So why wasn't it working? Well, look at the second part of verse three. Was this, was this really self-denial is the question that we're, we're raising here. You are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. You're, you're fighting and you're quarreling. In other words, the people were going through all the right religious motions, but they were spreading injustice and violence and chaos into the world at the same time. These are all things that are exactly the opposite of God's heart for the world. We talked all about that in the, the Torah series earlier this year. Uh, God's heart for the world is justice and peace and harmony. And they were doing exactly the opposite. They were honestly, they were acting in self-interest in the way that they were treating others. They were squeezing vulnerable people for their own benefit. They, they thought that if they checked all the right religious boxes, then they could probably squeeze God a little bit as well. They could twist his arm with, through their fasting and they could force him to give them what they wanted. You see, all of their, their pious self-denial was just a show. As it turns out, and it's kind of ridiculous for me to say this, but as it turns out, God is not a particularly big fan of religion. I know, again, I'm a pastor. It's weird to say that, but God doesn't care about religious motions that we go through. That doesn't, that doesn't impress him. No, he cares about what's in our hearts, what these religious things that we do are actually responding to not just the motions themselves. For example, fasting. Fasting can be a powerful tool to, to help us focus our desperation and our dependence on God. Okay, it can be a really powerful tool for us, but if we're just fasting to try to get something out of it, to try to make God do something for us, if we are fasting out of self-interest, well, then we might as well just keep eating three meals a day because it's just an empty, hollow act, right? That's why the Israelites' actions were, were coming up empty. That's why God wasn't responding to them because they were going through all the right religious motions, doing all the right religious stuff, but it was all for the wrong reasons. It was all coming out of this, out of, out of this uh, self-interest uh, that they were driving through. And by the way, I mean, I say this about the ancient Israelites, but this is completely uh, an issue that we face today. We do the exact same things. It just seems to be almost human nature. We, we, in the Christian evangelical world, we check all the right religious boxes, don't we? And we think that somehow we're making God happy with all of that. 
Like I read a devotional every morning and I, I know that's good because I post about it on Instagram to tell everybody else that I'm doing it. I listen to Christian radio when I'm cutting people off in traffic. Uh, you know, I have attended church several times this um, year. You know, I, <laughs> we, we, we talk about this like God's got to be impressed with us because we're doing all this stuff. We think that our religion is doing God a favor, don't we? Don't we? Even when it does not in any way reflect our internal world, even when we are acting completely out of self-interest. And then what happens when we're in a crisis? What happens? We, you know, how tempting is it for us to say to God, God, I read my Bible. I, I, you know, I give money to the church. So why aren't you coming through for me? Just like the ancient Israelites. Now, again, all of those things, right? All of those things, reading scripture, uh, going to church, giving, giving a tithe, you know, all of that stuff, that's all good stuff. It, fasting is a really good thing. But what is the point of all of it? If, if we're doing those things and it doesn't actually reflect what's going on in our heart, that is the rather provocative question that Isaiah 58 is asking. So, okay, okay. Got it, Isaiah, we're, we're, we're with you now. So how should we act, right? That's a, that's a pretty reasonable question. How should our hearts be aligned with our actions? Well, that's exactly uh, what he answers next. So let's read this starting in, in verse six. So that fasting is not the kind of fasting uh, that we should be doing, but what should be? Well, look at this. No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them and do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor, Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. I love that passage. I really do. I love it. I find the imagery in that passage so beautiful and desirable. I, I want what that passage is talking about. You know, in a time like today, in a, in a global pandemic facing uh, ep economic collapse as a nation with so much darkness and uncertainty and pain in our world, I want to be like a well-watered garden, right? Don't you? I want my light to shine in the darkness. I want water when I'm dry. I think we all want those things. So how? 
How do we experience those things? Well, look back at verse six. The answer is we've got to take action. We've got to take action. We've got to pursue freedom, pursue justice. Uh, Verse seven, we should be caring for the vulnerable. That is when our salvation will come. That is when our wounds will heal. Okay, so these are new actions that we're supposed to take. Are these just some kind of, uh, some new kind of religious ritual that we're supposed to go through? Are these just different boxes to check? No, no, they're not. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because, okay, remember before when we talked about that whole um, fasting to twist God's arm idea, that whole fasting out of self-interest, that was done to please yourself. That is an action done for your own benefit. Well, all of these actions, all the things I just mentioned, these are all things that are done out of what I like to call self-giving love. Self-giving love. This is a kind of love for others that costs us. It costs us. Think about it. Look at some of these things. Lightening the burden of those who work for you. Verse six. What does that actually mean? That means potentially a reduction in your profits. If the people who are working for you uh, don't have to be, uh, you know, pressed as hard, you might lose some income. It could mean sacrificing your own well-being for the sake of others. Or another example, uh, letting the oppressed go free, right? That sounds great. But then think about it. That's kind of risky because you really don't want to get on the bad side of oppressors, do you? They're going to look out to to try to take you out. You might be putting your own life on the line by trying to rescue those who are oppressed. And of course, sharing your food with the hungry, verse 7. What does that mean? Well, it means having less food for yourself. And who wants to do that when you're facing a very uncertain future? So you see what I mean? These are, these are actions of self-giving love. They're actions that are, frankly, they're risky. They're, they're costly. And yet, this passage claims that it is only doing these kinds of things. It's only in self-giving love that we will truly begin to discover the presence of God. It, it's then that our healing begins. Look again at verse 9. Look again at verse nine. When you do all these things, then when you call, the Lord will answer. Yes, I am here. He will quickly reply. Think about that. Yes, I am here. Why is God here when we are giving of ourselves? Why is that the case? Well, the answer is because it's who he is. He is a God of self-giving love. Like it's, it's at the core of his identity. He, he's a God who pours himself out for the sake of his children. A God who sacrifices himself on a cross. He's a God who again and again and again, he pursues justice and mercy and healing for those that the world has forgotten. It's his identity. And so when we act in self-giving love, in compassion, when we stand up for the vulnerable, we are jumping in to the very work that God is already doing. I am here. You found me. God doesn't want us to go through religious motions. No, he wants us to join him in the work that he's already doing of healing this broken world. When we do that, when we dive into God's presence through self-giving love, that is when we can experience light and life and, and healing because God is a God of light and life and healing. And we're now working shoulder to shoulder with him 
in healing the world. Jesus said it himself in Matthew. He said, seek the kingdom of God, God's purposes above all else and live righteously. And guess what? He will give you everything you need. It's like a paraphrase of Isaiah 58. You see, God's very nature is to give himself away to those who could never repay him. That's what he does again and again in scripture. And he's inviting us to join him to do that very same thing. And with that invitation comes a promise that he will more than sustain us for the journey. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You see, the path to restoration, it comes not through self-interest, but through self-giving love. The path to restoration comes not through self-interest, but through self-giving love. That is the message of Isaiah 58. And when you start to look through the rest of scripture, you realize that that is the message of the whole, the whole Bible. The opportunity for us to join God in what he is doing because he is a God of sacrificial love. Okay, so that is a lot to think about. It's a lot to chew on. But let's get practical with this. Because this is a message addressing where we are right now in our nation, in our community. How does this apply to our experience right now in the midst of a global pandemic? Well, let's talk about that. We're facing economic turmoil right now. We're facing death. We're facing sickness, facing isolation. We need God's intervention right now, right? Just like the ancient Israelites. As individuals, as a church, as a community, as a world, we need God to move. We're helpless. We, we, don't, we don't know what to do. So what do we do when the brokenness of this world goes way beyond our ability to fix it? What do we do when we feel helpless? Well, let's see. One, we could go through some religious motions, try not to sin too much, do all the right things. Maybe we can twist God's arm into helping us out, right? Maybe that's an option. Or, as Isaiah 58 implores us to do, we could join God in compassion for the marginalized, mercy for the oppressed. We could rise to the occasion in self-giving love and let God take care of the rest. Take a stab at which one I think we should do of those two options. Yeah, it's the second one. I think that we can, can learn how to rise to the occasion in self-giving love. And I think that God will come through for us in ways that we don't even see coming. So if you're going to, if you allow me, I'm going to give you, well, you don't really have a choice because you're watching and I'm, I'm just going to go ahead. I guess you could turn me off. You could turn off your TV, but if you don't turn off your TV, I'm going to give you three practical suggestions of what this could look like. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. Some of them might be, I might be sticking my, my foot in it a little bit. I, this might be a little pr provocative, but I'm going to go there because I really believe that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us through this passage. So let me get practical and let me give you three ideas for how we could respond. Number one, right now we can accept inconvenience and discomfort for the sake of the vulnerable. Inconvenience and discomfort, we can accept that for the sake of the vulnerable. Look, we know that COVID-19 does not affect everyone equally. Those who are older or with weakened immune systems or with other medical conditions are at much greater risk. And I know that right now we're hearing voices around us in the world out there that, that treat these individuals as statistics. 
saying, well, yes, you know, some death is inevitable. Let me tell you something right now. Listen to me. No one, no person is a statistic to God, not to our God of love. Nobody is a statistic. So if we, as a community, if we believe that, if we're willing to do uncomfortable things like holding off on public gatherings and, and taking social distancing seriously, wearing masks in public, well, then guess what we can do? We can join God in doing what he's already doing in verse 10, helping those in trouble. This is why, by the way, you, you may have already heard this, but this is why we've chosen as a church not to reopen our in-person services at Grace for the month of May. Yeah, it's hard. It, it's, a, it's a sacrifice for us. We want to be worshiping together in person so badly, but, but this is a way for our church to practice self-giving love as a community. And friends, can I just ask this? Can we be a church that wears our masks when we're out in public? Let's take it seriously. Look, we don't wear the masks to protect ourselves. If that was the case, then yeah, have at it. Do whatever you want. It's your life. We wear our masks to protect one another, to protect the vulnerable. Let's be a church that gives up just a little bit of comfort so that those of us who are healthy can form an impenetrable wall to protect those who are not. Let's be a, a church of self-giving love. We can do this. So that's number one. Number two, we can stop the hate train or try to derail it. We can stop it. Verse nine says, stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Well, look, I don't have to tell you how divisive and hate-filled our world is right now. Now, what I'm about to say, this is costly. This is costly, but so is everything that's self-giving love. But I think that we need to learn, myself included, how to give up our right to be right. Look, I know how, how absolutely fun it is to see someone that you despise getting dunked on on social media. But we, if we want to practice self-giving love, we have got to, to stop feeding and encouraging hate in our world. We've got to stand against it. That's who we have to be. And yes, that's a sacrifice. Because it's so satisfying going the other way. That train is a satisfying train to ride. But we have to stand in its way. Another way that we can stand in the way of the hate train is to potentially risk our reputation to stand up for somebody. I'll give you an example. The Asian American community right now in our country is facing massive amounts, unprecedented amounts of, of hatred and xenophobia and racism right now based purely out of ignorance. And I know that in a congregation of our size, some of us are going to witness this happening before our eyes. We are. A joke by a classmate, a, a hateful comment by a family member. We're going to see it. Somebody is. In those moments, and many other like it with other communities, are we willing to risk embarrassment or, or ridicule, even a level of shame? Are we willing to risk that to speak up and say that it's not okay? Are we willing to stand in the way of that hate train? Look, it's risky. It's risky. The hate train is strong and you might put yourself in its path and it might hurt. But I'm going to tell you this, self-giving love is stronger. It's stronger. Why? Because when you stand against hate, God is standing with you. And that's exactly where I want to be standing. So, 
First, we can accept inconvenience and discomfort for the sake of the vulnerable. Second, we can stop the hate train. And finally, we can give generously of our abundance. Verse 7 gives us example, an example of what that looks like. It says, share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That's what the Israelites were being asked to do. What does it look like in our context? Well, you could get creative and probably come up with a thousand different ideas, but let me give you a few. Uh, it could look like giving, uh, giving some of your, your finances to help Grace or the care center. It could mean uh, giving of your time to support a frontline worker or, or to make masks for people. It could mean giving up some of your privacy to, to reach out to a struggling neighbor. It, again, self-giving love by its very nature is costly. That's the whole point. Giving to others of anything, time, money, any of it, it means necessarily having a little bit less of it for ourselves. So it is risky. But listen to this. Look what comes as a result of that sacrifice. This is what Isaiah 58 goes on and on about. Your light will shine out from the darkness. The Lord will guide you. The Lord will give you water when you are dry. Restore your strength. Again, when we give freely of our abundance, we are working shoulder to shoulder with a God who gives freely of his. Look for ways to give of what you have. And I guarantee you're going to start to be surprised at how abundant God can be with you. Now look, these are just a few ideas, okay? I, I, could, I could go on and on. I had to limit myself to three for the sake of time. I want you to spend some time this week thinking of what self-giving love looks like for you. What is God asking you to sacrifice, to risk, to, to give up for the sake of those around you? That's the question I want you to wrestle with. Remember, when we take action that's aligned with God's purposes in this world, when we, when we model our lives after his, after the self-giving love of Jesus, well, that's when we find that God's healing hand is already upon us, that the light is already dawning, that our community is becoming like a well-watered garden. The path to restoration, the path that we all need right now comes through, not through self-interest, but through self-giving love. That is a path that I am willing to take. So Grace Church, Grace Church, let's walk that path together. Would you pray with me? Father God, there are times when it seems like self-giving love, which, which to me seems like the core of all of your message through scripture. It seems almost ridiculous, Father, because, because our human nature seems wired against it. And yet, Father, you showed us what that looks like through Jesus. Father, you, you showed us what it looks like through your, your absolutely unending love for humans who continue to, to let you down, continue to betray you. So, Father, I pray now that we have the Holy Spirit within us, I pray that you would equip us in this time of uncertainty, in this time of death, in this time of, of chaos. I pray that you would equip us to be people of self-giving love. And Father, I pray for those in our congregation who are perhaps taking their, their first baby steps in this kind of uh, life of self-sacrifice and surrender. I pray, Father, that you would knock their socks off with your presence and provision and healing and care. Give them just a taste, Father, of what's possible when they join you shoulder to shoulder in the work of healing the world. Father, we acknowledge that it's costly, but it's a price that we long to pay. 
And so God, I ask that you will guide us as a congregation. Help us to continue to have wisdom and unity in how we respond in this pandemic, Father. And I pray that many would see the light of your spirit through our actions as we do our very best to represent yours. Father, we pray all of this in the name of your son, Jesus, who we follow. Amen.